All right, so we're continuing our series. I want to know what love is. And uh, the good news is we're, we're close to being done with this series. Just a few more weeks. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The uh, church in Corinth was a messed up church. They had it bad. Whenever we think, wow, there are problems in the church, all we have to do is go back to 1 Corinthians and say, you know what? There were problems in the church back then too. And God is faithful to address those issues and to work in those, in the midst of that problem, to give us something good. So, here's what the Holy Spirit said to the church then and what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we're asking for you to work in me and in all these folks who are here and all the folks who are listening online, that we would grow in this kind of love that we really would reflect more and more of Jesus. Amen. So I've got a question for you. Uh, how many of you have heard of Hesiod? Raise your hand high if you've heard of Hesiod. I got one. That's great. Okay, how many of you ever heard of Homer, not Homer Simpson, Homer, the, the poet, the epic poet writer. Okay, all right, okay. Hesiod was actually a contemporary of Homer, and even though he may be less well-known than Homer, I'm certain that you've heard of one of his stories, the story of Pandora, not the streaming service, the lady, and her infamous box. 
Pandora's box. Actually, in Hesiod's uh, version of the story, Pandora's box was not a box at all. Did you know this? It was a jar. Excuse me for nerding out for a minute, but this was just fascinating to me. The reason why we call it Pandora's box instead of Pandora's jar is apparently because a guy during the Renaissance, his name was Erasmus, he was translating this story and he mistranslated the Greek word pithos, which means jar, as if it was the word pyxis, which means box. And ever since then, we've been calling it Pandora's box because of a mistranslation. Anyway, <laughs> in Hesiod's story, Pandora was given a sealed jar, not a box, a jar, and she was told never to open it. You know what that did, right? Her curiosity got the better of her, and she lifted the lid of the jar, and to her horror, all kinds of evil flew out of the jar. Pain, disease, poverty, war, anything that you can think of that was bad, it flew out of that jar. But there was one thing that remained in the jar. Do you know what it was? Hope. Hope. Now, one thing I have learned is that there are various interpretations of this story, and some of them contradict each other, but I will say that the most prominent interpretation is that even though the world is full of misery, pain, heartache, suffering, we can always hang on to hope. No matter how bad things might be, we can hold on to hope. As G.K. Chesterton says in his book, Heretics, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. You don't hope unless you're in a situation where you need to hope. Hope is a powerful force. According to an article by psychologist Eileen Burns-Zaire, I hope I pronounced her name right, entitled, Hope is More Powerful Than You Think, she says hope is, quote, linked to greater emotional and physical well-being, positive relationships, productivity, goal-setting, achievement, and performances. Hope is a big deal. But let me ask you, if you were just to be talking about hope with someone, how many of you would immediately think about love? Probably not many of us. I think if, if, if we were asked to write a description of love, very few of us would write what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love hopes all things. Love and hope are connected. Now, I will say one of the commentaries I read this week in preparation for uh, this message literally said this about this phrase, it scarcely requires further explanation. So, end of sermon. Let's pray. <laughs> Just kidding. 
I, I disagree with the commentator. I think it does require further explanation, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. We're going to talk about what it means for love to hope all things. And, and what I really believe that Paul is getting across, or at least what I think the Holy Spirit is getting across, is that love is constant and consistent in hope. It, it's not that love is just, you know, some kind of a, a little person who's, a little person, little child who just thinks everything is going to go their way. No, love is constant and consistent in hope. As we read again in verse 7, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things. If you think about it, hope is an expectation that something good or something desirable is going to happen. It's future-oriented. And love is constant and consistent in thinking about the future of the people that we love. We think something good will happen. We think something desirable will happen. We don't give up hope when we love someone. I don't know how many of you uh, really like J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings series. But usually it's not a sermon unless you got some kind of reference to uh, Tolkien. This comes from the elf Haldir in The Fellowship of the Ring, and he says this, The world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. You hear how hopeful that is? Even though our world is full of peril and danger and suffering, the fact that love, even though it's mingled with grief, will grow because of that is a very hopeful mindset. Is that the mindset that we have? As we look at our society today and we see many uh, things crumbling around us, moral values, other things that are just bothering us, do we say, you know what, even though this is a world filled with peril, love grows stronger because of those issues. I know me, and I know that my, um, hmm, at least when I started off in life, I did not come out of the womb just like positive person. I did not. If I was a lady, I would be called Negative Nancy. There's no doubt about that. No doubt. Um, in high school, I prided myself on being a negative person. Now, I wouldn't say that. I would say I'm a realist. That's what I would say. And all these other people who are optimists, they're just, well, you know, they've got their head in the sand. 
They, they've got this naivete about how they look at the world. It's Pollyannish idealism. It's dewy-eyed daydreaming, looking through sentimental rose-colored glasses. It's a simple-minded, quixotic fantasy that will only end in heartache and grief. Aren't you glad you didn't know me back then? Because that's the kind of thing that I would have said if I'd have known what the word quixotic meant. But I do know this, that God, the Holy Spirit, has been at work in me over the years to help me see that my pessimism was not godly. It wasn't godly. And it definitely wasn't loving. No, love is constant and consistent in hope. And you can't be constant and consistent in hope if all you're doing is criticizing everything around you. Again, this isn't bury your head in the sand and ignore everything or pretend like it's not there. No, you can look it square in the face and say, that's bad, that's evil, that's wrong, that's awful. And at the same time say, but I have hope that it will get better. It will. One day, in some way, some way, some fashion, it will so you see, the hope of love is not wishful thinking. It's not. The hope of love, at least not the, love, the hope and the love that this passage is talking about, the hope of love is not wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation that God is able to work in those that we love. See, it's not about me just saying, oh, well, you know, I hope, things will get better for them. With my own personal hope, it is a hope that says, God is God, and He is able to do all kinds of things, and so I'm not giving up hope on the person I love. That God can be, and maybe even will be, at work in them. That is what love does. I want you to see this because oftentimes we get confused about hope because in our society, in our, in our world today, at least as Americans, when we talk about hope, what we're talking about is something that we wish would happen. Like, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon because I would like to go for a walk. Something like that. And we don't know whether it's going to happen or not. We're just wishing for something. But when the scriptures talk about hope, it's a lot stronger than just wishful thinking. A lot stronger. Let me give you some examples so that we can see how this affects our love. 1 Peter 1.3. I love this passage. Think about what he's saying here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, our hope is not a dead-end street when the hope is in Jesus. No, it's a living hope. 
It's not a dead hope. It's not a dying hope. It's not a hope that is on life support. It is a living hope. The same kind of life that raised Jesus from the dead. And if Jesus can be raised from the dead, then whatever situation we may be in, or whatever situation we may see someone we love in, God can do something. And we believe that, and we trust him, that he will do what is right and what is good. Another passage, which I will honestly say, probably, I know you're not supposed to have favorite passages in the Bible, but this is my favorite. One time someone asked me, Stuart, if you were to, um, if, you, if you had only one sermon to preach, and you had to preach one sermon, and then you knew that was your last one, what would you preach on? And consistently throughout my ministry, I've said this passage, which makes me feel bad that I actually haven't preached on this passage. So, you know, that's a challenge for me, that I need to do this. But then I'm afraid it might be my last one, so... But anyway, Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 20. I love this because here's what God says. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now listen, there's a lot going on there, but listen to what he's saying. He's like, okay, God gave a promise, and God doesn't lie, so his promise was already good. And then, to top it off, he made an oath. He swore by himself that this really is true. And this is talking about our salvation. And so he made a promise that he he cannot lie, he cannot go back on, and then he made an oath on top of that. So by two unchangeable things, those of us who go to him for refuge might have this strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope we have in Jesus. And listen to how he describes the hope. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We can float around a little bit, but we never can go further than what that anchor will allow us. It's sure and steadfast. A hope that has entered into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on a forerunner on our behalf. Again, there's a lot going on there, but basically Jesus has already entered into the heavenly realms, into the very throne room of God on our behalf, and he is there as a forerunner, and you know what that means. If he's the forerunner, and we're all running the race, guess where we're headed? where that anchor holds steadfast and certain and sure, and nothing can change that. That is not, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. That is certain hope. Steadfast hope. A hope you can go to the bank on. And if... If any of that doesn't really float your boat, if none of that really gets you excited, 
Listen at least to this. Ephesians 3, verse 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than we all can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying, by the inspiration of the Spirit, that God is able to do more than we can imagine. How many of you can imagine some crazy things? Wild things. Things that would make you go, there's no way that could possibly happen. This passage says, don't believe that lie. If you can imagine it, God can do it. And that gives us great hope. For other people. Right? Because God is able to do more than we can imagine. We don't consider others a lost cause. God is able to do more than we can imagine. So when we're thinking about someone and we say, I want to love that person, we can never write them off as a lost cause. No matter how far away they are going from Jesus. No matter how far away they are going from us. No matter what they're doing in their life that seems very destructive to them, we don't consider anyone a lost cause because that's what love does. It says, I hope all things for this person that I love. And God is able to make it happen. Listen, we're all, well, m many of us at least are Reformed Presbyterians and we believe in all this predestination stuff, all right? So I want you to think about this just for a minute. If the person we love is already a follower of Christ, we can have confident and certain expectation that, first of all, God loves that person more than we do. Okay? And that God will bring about good for that person. It's the promise. God loves his people, and we know that, and he will bring about good for them. The ultimate good of them being with him forever and them being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's great. But even if the person is an unbeliever, okay? Because we all have family members, friends, co-workers, fellow students that we may be thinking, oh, I'd love to see this person come to faith, but I'm not sure. We can still have a confident expectation, even if it's not a 100% certain expectation. We can still have a confident expectation that as we pray for them, God will bring about good in one way or another because he put us in their lives to pray for them. 
Why would he do that if he didn't have something good in mind? You ever thought about that? God put you in your situation with your faith, with your love for that person, and is by the Spirit is calling you to pray with confident expectation. Now, God is God and you're not, so just because you pray for something doesn't mean it will 100% happen. But we can have confidence that God does what is right. God does what is good. God knows what he's doing, and he put you in that person's life to pray for them. He stirred your heart up to pray for them. Now, he's at work in some way, fashion, or form, and we can have confidence in that. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news? I mean, think about what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And that includes loving your neighbor and praying for people and seeing people come to faith. Let me read it again so you, you grasp it. God is able. News. Jesus speaking in John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All of them. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Hallelujah. I need to hear that today. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Or hear the words of Jesus in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Man, that is great encouragement. If you're like me, and this week you have struggled with your faith, you've struggled to, to focus on Jesus, you've struggled to fight that sin, let me tell you, God has not given up hope on you. In fact, he's holding you in his hand right now. <laughs> and he will not let go. And no matter how far you try to wander, he will bring you back. He's that good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He's that lady who sweeps the floor looking for the coin. He's that father who when he sees the son coming his way, he runs out to him, embraces him, and gives him a coat 
and slaughters an uh, animal and gives him a feast and says, let's party. Because love never gives up hope. And if none of that really lit your fire, one of my, another one of my favorite verses, because I need to hear this every day, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? God's not like me. He doesn't get started on something and then go, man, this is too hard. I think maybe I should back out. God, when he starts something, he will finish it. And if he's begun a good work in you, if he's a good, begun a good work in your children, if he's begun a good work in people that you love, he will bring it about to completion. He will. That's the promise. So, if you want an action point for today, this is the one, even though it doesn't use the word hope. Your action point is this. Instead of writing off others, Pray for them. Don't write anybody off. Pray for them. If God is able to do more than you can ask or imagine, pray to the one who is able to make all grace abound to that person. Right? You, you may never have heard of the lady uh, Karen Friday, but she tells a story of how when she was nine years old, her father came to her and said, you know what, people say that there's a God, but there's no such thing. It's all lies. And her nine-year-old self, she kind of wondered, well, if there's no God, then what does that mean for me? Eventually, she became a Christian, and she started praying for her dad. Sixteen years she prayed for him. That's over five thousand times that she prayed for her dad. Now you would think at, at some point she would go, okay, that's just too much. God must not be interested in saving my dad. But then she went to a party for one of her relatives and her dad pulled her aside and with tears in his eyes, he said, I want to tell you something. I'm a believer in Jesus now. I know I was an atheist but now I believe. And she realized that those 5,000 times or more that she had prayed, God was listening. She didn't give up hope. God did not give up hope on this man. And God drew that man to himself. Maybe you've prayed for 5,000 or more times for someone. Don't write them off. Don't give up hope. As long as there's breath in your body and as long as there's breath in their body, there's always the chance that God, who is able to do more than we could ask or imagine, will bring it about. Isn't that great? Don't we serve a great God? Mm. All right, so by the work of the Spirit,
Let's grow in a love that hopes. When we pray for us, that we'll do that. Holy Spirit, once again, we pray that you would grow us in love, a love that hopes, a love that doesn't write people off, a love that knows you are able to do more than we can even imagine. And so whatever our imagination might be, we can pray and what is just, what is best. We can trust you and let that hope be immovable in us. In Jesus' name, amen.